We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast is brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the £4 pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be gamble aware, over 18s only. Visit begambleaware.org. Uh, be drink aware and for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. I'm Alex. I have Si and Charlotte in studio with me, and we're absolutely buzzing this week to be joined by another special guest. It's Chris Woff, the Newcastle United correspondent for The Athletic and also regular on Pod of the Time. And we are going to talk to Chris about the transfer window, of course, but also the bigger picture stuff of financial fair play, profit and sustainability rules, as they're more formally known these days, and how Newcastle United are navigating it, how they fit into it, and what the future looks like. Quick plug from me, we're on Patreon, it's three to eight pounds a month. We have got so much coming up for you as we build up to Fulham and Villa in just a few days. Come and join us in there for all of the build-up, the reaction, the instant stuff, the good stuff. Come and join us, we'd be really, really grateful. Link in the description to this podcast. We also have a live show coming up on the 16th of February at the Glossworth Civic Theatre. Lots of tickets sold so far. Come and join us on a Friday night before play Bournemouth the next day. We'd love to see you there. Link also in the description to this podcast. Chris... Thanks so much for joining us, mate. It's a pleasure to to see you again and chat to you again. And I want to start off the show by asking you a pretty broad question, mate. I want to ask you if, as some people believe, Darren Eels has got it all mapped out. The owners of Newcastle United, they've got it all mapped out. We haven't got any financial fair play wriggle room. So they signal to the world that we have 
no money, that we can't sign players. They get journalists in like yourself, they brief them. There are articles, there's a video, there's a release of accounts early, there's full transparency, and it's a master plan where all the dominoes collapse and everything falls into place that we end the transfer window window, window <laughs> with loads of new good footballers. We'll get rid of some of the footballers who used to be good, but aren't that good anymore or haven't been recently. Or, Chris, is this a complete fabrication by some Newcastle United fans who just want everything to be okay? And this is, in fact, a deeply <laughs> complex process which relies on lots of people outside of Newcastle United. Uh, where do you lie in it, Chris? Is this the master plan? Are you part of it by, by being part of this process with Darren Eels? What's going on at Newcastle United with financial fair play, mate? If there was a master plan, I definitely don't think they'd be involving me in it. Um, <laughs> I would not be the man to go to it, I don't think. Um, exactly what someone involved would say, by the, the way. The, exactly. <laughs> well, exactly, yes, I've got to cover my tracks. But the 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 logic behind it is I don't think it was that... I mean, the, the, the message out of Newcastle over the course of the last few days has suddenly been there isn't a fire sale, given all of the rumours that go around around Kieran Trippier, Callum Wilson, Miguel Almiron, Jamal Lascelles, which I'm sure we'll all, we'll all get into. So they've suddenly gone from one extreme to another where they're briefing and there are a lot of um, articles that are released and people are talking about FFP or PSR, profit and sustainability rules, as they are called. And that's partly because Darren Eels called us in and, and spoke to us as journalists when the accounts came out and basically said, this is the situation Newcastle are in. We're going to be compliant with FFP going forward. But equally, there are concerns longer term in terms of if we don't sell players. That's what all clubs have to do. And I think that really what I think has caught Newcastle a little bit this season and whether this is going to be reflective of January's going forward and why I don't think it will be like this so much in January's going forward is I think that it's it's hard to overstate how much the Everton case has changed perceptions within football. And the fact that Everton were given their 10-point deduction earlier this season, subsequently, obviously Nottingham Forest and Everton have been uh, found to be in breach of uh, FFP rules for the season afterwards as well. I think that's created a lot of issues for uh, other Premier League clubs. And my understanding is that within Newcastle, they were surprised by that and by the severity of the charges that came Everton's way. And that rather than it maybe be a sort of slap on the wrist, you know, maybe if clubs are just outside of the FFP, if they can say, oh, we're going to next season, we'll, we'll, we'll not breach it, we'll be on track. Because that didn't happen. Because Everton got such a heavy fine, I actually think a lot of clubs have suddenly thought, actually, we need to make sure that, that there is no way the Premier League can come up down on us that we are very much within those restrictions. I think that's what's happened at Newcastle and that's why there is so much of an issue of can Newcastle sign new one? Do they need to sell before they buy? And why this window looks very, very different, certainly from the previous two January windows when it was all about who can Newcastle bring in and now it's about who can Newcastle sell and why. I think it's hard, isn't it? Because the first window that we, the first January window that we had under this um, new ownership was such a seismic one. We signed Kieran Trippier. We um, we signed Bruno. You know, we we made all these massive changes. Um, we we brought in Chris Wood, did we? That was and two, and two left backs. And two left backs. It was it, that that is more business than we had done like cumulatively in years, and we were able to do that because of the you know the the way that we had been run before, and and Mike Ashley leaving that kind of. You know, for, you know, there's a million bad things to say about him, and I didn't like the way he ran the club, but it meant that someone coming in could then spend some money, and 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 that's fine. And then, and then sort of, but but the, the ordinary January transfer window is not 
one of loads of transfers, loads of spending. I don't think many other clubs have done much business. I think it's just, it's all heightened. Everybody's on edge about FFP, which I do think is like, is sensible in principle. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but I think, yeah, maybe our maybe our expectations. We, we we went from our marquee signing being Graham Jones to the following year signing like five players in in within a year's space. So I think we've been kind of like rocked from side to side as fans, and and it's hard to kind of recalibrate, especially when you look at the squad and you think we need X, Y, and Z, and why isn't it happening? I think for all the um, positive spin you can put on Mike Ashley leaving the club in a in a nice FFP position because we haven't spent any money. He still left the playing squad massively <laughs> limited. He still left everything else off the pitch massively limited. So there's so much work to do to get us where we've done. And Andy Howe's done an amazing job with an aging squad of players who are all really good lads, but we can't sell any of them for money, bar the couple that have kind of been knocking around this week in terms of Wilson and Miggy. And um, <clears throat> you've got to remember, those two players themselves were probably bought. They were bought for rele- relegation battles. Wilson was bought to keep us up. Miggy was bought to keep us up. These aren't players that are meant to be propelling us into the Champions League. They just did it somehow. So now we're in this position where none of the players that we have on the books are of the stock we need to be able to either sell to, to create space and, and money for new Champions League players, nor are they good enough now because they're getting into their 30s um, to, to keep us where we are. And it's, it's such a hard position for Newcastle to be. And yeah, everything seems to have changed with the Everton situation. Obviously, we dropped out the Champions League a bit earlier than probably planned, maybe getting into Europe. Um, maybe not planned, but you know, it, it felt like there was an opportunity there to to make a lot more money this season that hasn't happened. So that's hamstrung us a bit more. Obviously, the rule changes that did take place, albeit that was right at the start of, of not being able to... Um, of the, it's a fair sponsorship stuff. I can't mm. remember what it's called. Um, there's so many things have changed um, from the start of this project that the kind of... I can understand why the club have had to re reorganize and and start again with with what what's next and uh, maybe eels is very clever for what he's doing i don't know um i can also see all of this noise and then as getting to the 31st of january and, and not having sold or bought anyone of significance that seems like a distinct possibility for me and then where does that leave us chris the, the really interesting thing that you said there uh, um, it was all interesting but the most interesting <laughs> bit was um <laughs> and this is this is kind of hard for some football fans to accept. So I'm, I'm hoping that you um you see, you get where I'm coming from. Is that every Premier League club signed up to these rules, and what you're saying is because they were actually enforced, they've all shit themselves. <laughs> surely, surely it hasn't. It didn't come of like it's so much of a shock. Or do you think it's like a timing aspect? It, it, it was was this something that would have been kicked down the line into a a future type scenario, like when you said there that the, that the impact of the Everton case and the um, penalty and the, the points deduction has, has had such a big impact in the Premier League, you know, like how how bad are these people at their jobs if this has come as a shock to them? I mean, that's that's a very good question and I'm not going to necessarily condemn everyone for, for the jobs <laughs> that they actually do, but I do, I, I do think that if you look at the Everton case, for example, and I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of it because, A, I don't know them, and B, it's quite boring. But basically, it, it, it's sort of in... They've basically argued that the reason that they've breached FFP is to do with the financing of loans on their stadium. And so they argue that should have been outside of the, the what's covered within FFP because if you build a stadium, uh, in theory, infrastructure costs aren't included, but loan costs are. And I think that because it's almost like a technical breach in some ways, I think that a lot of clubs thought that, mm, well, maybe, you know, going for like Nottingham Forest, for example, Nottingham Forest have been found in breach. But their argument is 
if they had sold Brennan Johnson earlier, they wouldn't have got what they see to be his full value. They would have lost about 15 million on him. And because they sold him when they did, they actually weren't in breach of the 105 million over the three years. Actually, theirs isn't 105 because they were promoted. So it becomes even more complicated. But they weren't in breach of the figure they could have. And so I think that, yes, the club should have been trying to work within these parameters anyway. But I really don't think that they thought that the Premier League had the teeth or the desire to actually come down on them, which sounds weird in itself because the Premier League is a 20-member club organisation and all of the, the members pick choose these rules to begin with. Now, I know that one of the arguments at the minute is, well, when these rules were voted in, that wasn't the current uh, Newcastle United. That, that was... That was Mike Ashley's Newcastle United. So the current ownership haven't signed up for them, but also you then enter the league and you accept the rules that are already there. But at what point should you change them? At what point should they be uh, adapted going forward? There's all the arguments about inflation, the fact that really the, the, the figures are completely outdated, but normal inflation figures don't even take into account football inflation figures. And I mean, transfer fees, someone... Uh, a, a recruitment person said to me last week within football that the the two hundred thousand pound of fifteen years ago is now the ten million. That's how much inflation is within football. That's what it's like to to try and recruit within the Premier League. And so I've gone a roundabout way of not really answering your question, but um, <laughs> basically, ba- basically yes, I, I I agree. If they're the rules, then then clubs should have been more aware that they should stay within those parameters. But also, I suppose the the way that football works, the way that all that a lot of other industries like that works, is that you try and push the boundaries as far as you possibly can. If you think you can get away with things, you'll try and do. But then as soon as it was quite clear that you wouldn't get away with it, and it wasn't maybe just a fine. For example, if, if Everton had been fined a substantial amount of money, would a club with Newcastle United or Man City's wealth, would they care about getting a fine? No, but when it becomes a sporting penalty, when it becomes that you could have transfer embargoes or you could be uh, you could have significant points deductions or even relegation imposed upon you then i suddenly think everyone's sat up and realized that this does have real teeth to it and we have to we have to work within the parameters of it which maybe they should have been doing anyway it just seems really bizarre that they wouldn't have thought that i mean it sort of goes back to alex's question but like that's the nature of what did you expect was it just was it, was it a show thing was it just a yeah yeah no problem ffp sounds good and then yeah, they won't really can, do anything. can i throw it back at you charlotte all right well i mean these guys who run football clubs um they're paid for this we are not uh, as football fans but will have we been naive do you think when you're talking about the glory days of january 22 do you think we were somewhat naive to think this was just how it's always going to be yes but you're allowed to be as a football mm-hmm. fan. That's part of the beauty of it all. The naivety and the hope and the ridiculous dream chasing. That's allowed. It's not allowed if you're paid six figures to sit in a boardroom of a club and be like, ah, they'll never, <laughs> they won't bother, will they? They're not going to bother with that. Like, Take Richard for a long lunch. That's Richard Masters. I mean, I'd be glad to. <laughs> It's the same thing, though, isn't it? From our perspective, we also didn't think football clubs would actually get punished. We've watched the, the European Super League teams never get punished. Right. We made that point last week. Um, we also have just like watched clubs like Man City and Chelsea rise to prominence doing it, and, and they'll always find ways. Rules were put in place, then Man City found ways around them. Like You just assumed, and maybe naively, that Newcastle had a plan to, to beat the rules, whatever it was, and that every time a new one gets put in front of us, they'll come up with something else to bend those rules. You know, the, the, running a big football club or a big organization they'll have clever accountants they'll have clever lawyers they'll just find ways to do it so i always thought that newcastle would would continue on the the journey that amanda stably set out for us on day one which was you know we're going to improve every window we're going to do all this 
and we're going to be winning the Champions League in five years' time. And now it feels like we're acceptance is finally setting in that that might not be the case. Um, and yet it is weird that it feels like it's it's been triggered by the Everton thing happening. And I, I don't know if that is the case. Or I don't know if it's always been, you know, Eels and the club have always been quite, you know, consistent about wanting to stay within FFP and not wanting to breach those rules. So maybe it isn't just the Everton situation. Maybe it was always part of the plan to try and be sustainable. And yes, it, it, more broadly speaking, football clubs should be run sustainably. But, you know, it, it, it is weird because we just know they've got the cash sitting there so that Newcastle are in no danger of being unsustainable. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's just me as a Newcastle fan speaking currently. Just as like a, uh, an aside, to you as a Newcastle fan speaking, it's me saying, yes, we're allowed to be naive. God, when I was 11, if you told me like going to my first Newcastle game at St. James's Park that in like X number of years, undetermined number of years later, I would have to know about financial fair play regulations and stuff in re as it pertains to my football club and things like that and sustainability rules and things. It just it takes away from a lot of it, I think. Don't you, don't you think that's just kind of an aside? Like I think there's a fra phrase I've seen in the coverage of this that, you know, f football has kind of run on spreadsheets now. And I think Bill Gates got a lot of answer for. Creation <laughs> of Microsoft Excel, fucking ruined society in football. <laughs> Probably a simplification. Probably. Um, Chris, you, you said before that uh, you didn't think that this would be the norm for Newcastle United, um, and maybe this was a as a one off. Is this is this kind of the are these things cyclical? Do you think, or do you think it's in terms of you might have one transfer window out of five where a, uh, you know a couple of players get injured who you might want to offload? Uh, you know, you have a, a player bans like Sandro Tonali, and that throws out your transfer plans, um, or do you think it's as simple as Newcastle United wants that? sweet commercial revenue starts to roll in from next season um it's kind of we might have to put up with one quiet window and then the rest is history type thing yeah, just before i answer that i just want to clarify that i, I was not trying to say before that newcastle united were trying to breach fsp rules <laughs> but what I, what I was trying to suggest is that that in case there was an opportunity in case there was any sort of doubt whatsoever that newcastle or any other clubs were going to be in breach or that there could be any sort of argument that they might be in breach i think that's why there's well my understanding from having spoken to people is why there's been so much focus on tightening up and making sure that all revenue streams do match up to that. And, and Sai's point that he raised earlier about the Champions League is a very good one because Newcastle certainly expected or hoped after the start of the Champions League group that they would at least be in some form of European football going to the second half of the season, which would have brought in additional revenue, whether it was Europa League or Champions League, both in terms of the, the prize fund you get from it, but also... The, the revenue you get for match tickets and the home matches. So Newcastle would have been guaranteed at least one for the home match, but probably would have got certainly more if they got in the Europa League. And also a lot of your sponsorship deals, you get more the further you progress in the competitions. And if they got further in the Champions League, that would have brought in greater revenue. In terms of this window and whether this is unique, I think it is. I'll be honest with you, that when December was turned into January, I didn't expect this window to be as busy as it is now, which seems a bizarre thing to say, seeing as Newcastle haven't bought anyone yet, and the only player they've actually sold is Javier Manquillo. But <laughs> the, the, this has been the last week has just been absolutely insane. It's been very, very similar in terms of busyness to the January 2022 window, but just in a completely different way. There's just so much potentially going on. There are so many clubs trying to either test the waters with Newcastle or Newcastle are trying to see if they could get money for it. And I think part of what's happened is that Newcastle have gone out to, 
to the market, both in terms of what Eels said, but I don't think Eels was projecting that so much to the market as more trying to explain to supporters because Newcastle speak to the market in other ways. They, you get that through agents, you get that through head of recruitment, you get that through various other ways. And I think they've made it clear almost that we at some point are going to have to sell somebody. So is there any interest in our players? And if so, which players? And if so, how much money? And then once those offers maybe come in, then they'll consider them. And it's not that they'd accept them all, but they'd consider them. Whereas previously, they basically had no interest in any of their players and they didn't know what value was there. So th- this this window in terms of everything you mentioned, in terms of Sandro Tonali, in terms of injuries, uh, in terms of the position Newcastle are in in the table, whereby it, Premier League-wise, it looks it's looking very, very difficult to get back in the Champions League for next season. It's hard to know what the goal is going to be for the remainder of the campaign beyond, you would hope, them taking the FA Cup very, very seriously. You'd still like to think they can get into the top six and, and qualify for European competition in some form, but they're going to have to go on a heck of a run now to do that, and they've still got a lot of injuries. So I think that... Given everything that's gone on there, given what I've already mentioned about the context of Everton and, and Newcastle's position financially, and also, Sai raised a very good point earlier as well about Newcastle don't have that underbelly of players from the Magashi regime who people actually want to buy. If they're going to sell someone for any sort of decent value, given the injury crisis they've got at the minute, that's someone who is probably going to start at Fulham on Saturday. That's that's the situation that they're in. And that creates a difficulty of, can we, can we let Kieran Trippier go unless we get an astronomical offer. He's, he's the standard bearer post-takeover. He's someone we've built so much on. Yes, he's had a difficult few weeks, but he's very important, both attacking and defensive to the team. He's very important leadership-wise. Can they let Callum Wilson go? Should they have let Callum Wilson go last summer? Should they have let Miguel Almiron go last summer? A lot of these questions are being raised, and I think rightly, but they are in this position now where it's been a perfect storm of everything coming together. And if they want to do any business in terms of incomings, they're almost certainly going to have to let someone go or they're going to have to get a loan with an obligation to buy, which why would another club agree to that, knowing Newcastle's position they're in, unless Newcastle are going to guarantee probably an inflated price there. So again, I probably haven't answered your question. I've just given a very long rambling <laughs> remark there about lots of things that have gone on. No, you have, mate, you have. It's, um, it, it, is, it is interesting, isn't it? Because we're so motivated and drawn in to get away from the uh, awful... Well, end of November. Um, though I, though I still think did we beat Chelsea on like the twenty fifth of November? I think we did. So like we're fifth then. Yeah. So we're so keen to kind of get away from December and, and enjoy this beautiful future of playing once a week for the rest of the season. Um, I think there's kind of a, a view that we need because of those transformations in twenty twenty two and and you know even last season's January transfer window was much quieter. But even at, you know Anthony Gordon looks to be one of the best players in the league. So it, it, in terms of improving the first team massively, it was still happened. And to kind of be talking about loan obligations, it just, maybe there's a bit of muscle memory kicks in that, you know, it's um, Hamza Chowdhury stuff. It's mm-hmm. Nabil Bentaleb stuff. Like it's all things that we wish we hadn't witnessed, but we had to. <laughs> so it, it'll be interesting. And on, only like, you know, we are sat here on the 24th of January. There's still time left in the window. Um, and we're going to talk in the second half of this show about uh, the, the players linked with a move and, and get Chris's thoughts in particular and, and your thoughts on if we should sell and who to and all that kind of stuff. But I suppose kind of closing question, Chris, for this part of the show is, do you think that these regulations are here to stay? Or do you think that, like Charlotte said, it has become a bit of a circus and I reference like things like Sky Sports News this time last year didn't have in-depth conversations about FFP, how it works and 
what clubs can do, but it just it just seems to be so joyless and so like it's not boring because one you keep listening to this podcast, but it's <laughs> you know it's not why. And I'm sure you're the Chris saying, look, correct me if I'm wrong. It's probably not why you got into football journalism to kind of get your um, motorization figures out and all that kind of stuff. But do you think there's any chance of this changing? And, and so that's the first question. Second question: Do you think Newcastle United will be at the head of that change, wanting to change it? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think that things will change. I do think there will be still quite stringent financial regulations within football but i think that the at least the purpose or the suggestion as to why these were first brought in i don't think that they now actually serve the purpose that they did previously i don't think that it actually stops clubs necessarily from becoming insolvent or really stretching beyond their means what it does is as as i know is one of the criticisms and i would very much agree with it is that it basically allows the established order to remain the way that they are to keep the status quo going and it doesn't it doesn't allow clubs who have the capability to be able to progress and we look at everything through the lens of Newcastle United because I cover Newcastle United you're all Newcastle United fans on this podcast you're all Newcastle United fans listening to this podcast and that's I'm sure the view that you will hold but even beyond that I just think that it it's it has created this weird dynamic where even the very biggest clubs are in a position where that they're having to sell that the players who they've brought through, like Chelsea, for example. I mean, Chelsea have done some absolutely batshit things over the course of the last couple of years and spend a billion pounds. And the way that they're trying to get themselves out of it is selling all of the academy players who they've brought through. Conor Gallagher, who's captained them this season, is supposedly being linked away. And and it actually is almost encouraging clubs to move away further from 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 what they actually are and the players who really should you should want to represent your club because they're the ones that you brought through they're the ones from the area like for example if Newcastle decided to sell Lewis Miley or Sean Longstaff or Elliot Anderson that would actually bring a heck of a lot in in terms of the book value because if mm. you sell an academy player then you get the the you actually get the full profit from that and rather than any amortized figure brought down so yes I think that things will be changed and yes Newcastle will be 
partly leading that. I think that they maintain that they signed up for these rules. They came and well, they maintain the, the the ownership that when they came in, they understood these were the rules they would have to work within. Now, some rules have changed since then. Obviously, the, the ones Sai mentioned earlier about related party transactions and attempted ones mid-season uh, to try and prevent deals between associated parties and loan deals with Saudi Pro League clubs and the like. But I do think that that it's mo- moving more towards a UEFA model, which will be probably more about wages and revenue rather than necessarily the way that it works at the minute in terms of if you can lose £105 million over three years. So, yes, I think Newcastle and a lot of other Premier League clubs, I think that that there is an increasing volume of clubs who believe that it should be changed. I know that that there are others who don't. Brighton, for example, came out and made it quite clear they they want to stick with the rules on a a radio show last week. And I think there are other clubs like that. But, But I think that for any club who desires to really try and break the hegemony of what's at the very top and to to still maintain this degree of you want you don't want clubs to, to you don't want a dodgy owner to come in and, and ruin your club and make it so that it maybe isn't sustainable going forward but at the same time you, you don't want the premier league to be hamstrung by the fact that someone you you can't break into that top six i'm sure the top six don't want that to happen i'm sure they are quite happy for it to stick as it is so i think you're going to have splits within the premier league going forward and that may mean that you get sort of very convoluted rules or it'll take a long while for them to change the rules as they are but i don't think it's sustainable as it is right now and i would be shocked if in three years time at the very latest we don't have some form of of very different rules i mean that they're debating them at the moment i think there may be some in a shorter period than that but whether they develop and evolve over time is something we'll have to wait and see Brilliant. That was really, really interesting. I'm going to break for a couple of adverts before part two of the show. Uh, if you like what we do and you also want to listen to these podcasts entirely advertisement-free, uh, it's £3 a month to get all of these free podcasts which come out twice a week um, without adverts or even me referencing them back after these. So for part two of the show, we feel like we should actually talk through uh, the players who are linked with moves away from Newcastle United. It's been a crazy few days uh, in terms of links and offers and counter offers and uh, you know how the transfers would be um, would be formed loans obligations to buy outright purchases um, the the main one I suppose which has kind of got the conversation at the minute and has split people online I think is actually Miguel Almiron going to the Saudi Pro League Chris do you think it's realistic here that Newcastle United could get twenty to thirty million pounds for Miguel Almiron this window? Is is this a possibility or is it just a kind of online rumour mill stuff? What's your thoughts, mate? It's not just online rumour mill stuff. There is there is genuine truth to the story or at least a, a shred of truth to the story now my understanding of it and, and I've sort of written about it to go up on on Thursday morning. My understanding of the situation is that that Newcastle as I was explaining earlier in the podcast, have been sort of almost looking at the market and speaking to people and seeing what sort of deals may or may not be available out there. And and there were conversations with some Saudi Pro League clubs or some representatives from from the Saudi Mm -hmm. Pro League and and Miguel Almiron's name potentially came up and, you know, if he was available, what sort of fee could we get here? And it wasn't at the stage where a price was agreed and then the story leaked out and this was sort of, Miguel Almiron didn't really know that much about it and I Mm -hmm. think that that sort of kiboshed it a little bit because I don't think Miguel... 
I mean, you can look at that in one sense and say, well, Newcastle weren't necessarily being open with, with Miguel Almiron, but at the same time, the way that a lot of these things work is I don't even think everyone at Newcastle United knew this was necessarily happening. It's, 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 a one, it's a very murky world, the world of transfers, and sometimes people are starting to do deals before they actually happen, or people discuss deals which never actually become public, or never even the player even finds out about them. They're just sort of discussions that happen so that, to explore, and as I'm saying, Newcastle are almost trying to test the market, see what is out there, see is what available. And so, as I, as I said earlier in the podcast, if Newcastle are going to sell someone right at this very moment in time, they're going to have to either sell an injured player, which means they're probably going to get less value than they would have done anyway, or they're going to have to sell a player who potentially could be starting at Fulham or, or on Saturday or at Aston Villa next Tuesday. And and the one player, one of the players that seem to have fallen upon who who maybe they would accept leaving if the right offer came in and if, and certainly in Addy Howe's view, ideally if he can sign a replacement or another player or two players. So for example, Miguel Almiron could leave or, or a midfielder could come in. If that was a trade-off which he was willing to go with, then that's something they would at least explore. As I say, it hasn't progressed to the stage where a fee has been agreed, nor does it seem that Miguel Almiron wants to go. But Newcastle are having to be creative in this sense, and they haven't. it is almost that trade-off that, that certainly the manager will have to have, but the, the club will also have to have. Miguel Almiron has another two years after this to run in his contract. He's 29 years of age. He hasn't had this season that he had last season, which was never really likely. And there is a strong argument that you could make that I would probably make that last summer was probably the time where he would have been at his, his highest value should Newcastle have moved then. But then the counter argument was Newcastle needed to do a heck of a lot of business anyway. Eddie Howe didn't want to completely rip up the squad at that point. He wanted some form of continuity. Miguel Almiron plays exactly the way that Eddie Howe wants in terms of intensity, in terms of leading the press, in terms of Kieran Trippier loves playing behind him because of what he brings. And so there are so many different trade-offs that Newcastle have to consider. And one of them at the minute seems to be that of all of the players who would who Eddie Howe would as I said, Eddie Howe ideally wouldn't like to lose any first team player, but if he's gonna to have to lose someone who is the most palatable to him in terms of the potential value you'd get from him and potentially what you could then do with that money. Miguel Almiron seems to be at the top of that list at the minute. To what extent does it matter if he wants to go or not? You just said he hasn't he doesn't necessarily want to go. Like does that um, and I don't just mean for the player, I mean for the the whole squad. Like what like do you have to I suppose you'd have to manage that message quite carefully, wouldn't you? If a player's not that keen on leaving but you just hoy him off to Saudi. Like within the whole squad that's a difficult kind of thing to manage i would imagine Are you, yeah you you would i haven't heard any suggestion as things stand as well it were 13 on the 24th of january i haven't heard anything that newcastle are going to try and force Miguel Almiron out in terms of yeah. if he doesn't want to go they're going to say no you you are going so i don't know that that is necessarily the case but he has two and a bit years left to run in his deal if he doesn't want to go i assume he just he just wouldn't go right at this stage but what it does show is that Newcastle are having to consider things that maybe you wouldn't have expected six weeks ago. You wouldn't have thought going in the window that there's any chance Miguel Almiron, given that he's played nearly every single game this season, mm. primarily due to injuries, but also just lack of alternatives. And also because he is a very important member of that first team squad. And yeah, I don't think you'd be, I don't think you'd be forced out in that sense. And as I said, Newcastle haven't even agreed a fee as far as my understanding is yet. They've just been in, in discussions about the potential that Miguel Almiron could go but they are they are having to try and do some unusual things in the market and, and some deals you wouldn't necessarily expect. And and I mean the Saudi link 
what's interesting about this one is it's Al-Shabaab, who are not actually one of the four PIF-owned clubs in Saudi Arabia. There are other clubs who receive investment from PIF-owned companies. And also, I think it's is it the defense. I think it might be the defense minister of Saudi Arabia who also basically runs Al Shabab. So that they argue to <laughs> be links there. Although, although PIF would would argue that uh, that you know they're not part of the Saudi state, and that's why they managed to get through in the Premier League. So this this is a very complicated. We don't yet know whether this would have to if this deal did actually happen, and it was to Al Shabab because there are other Saudi clubs interested. Would Newcastle have to go through? The fair market value assessment, as you, as, as Sai mentioned earlier, now the fair market assessment. Basically, every single deal above one million now gets referred to it. But if if it's just say Newcastle was selling to Real Madrid, then that deal would just pass. It would go to one million. Oh yeah, it's fine, whatever value it is. But say if Newcastle, as they did with Saint Maximan last summer, to the one of the clubs who are seen as an associated party, that deal would then get scrutinised by the Premier League. They supposedly have a database of loads of deals and try to see whether it will be fair market value. How exactly they work that out, I have absolutely no idea. But that's supposedly the way that it works. Would that happen with Miguel Almiron if he went to Al-Shabaab is a question I'm still trying to get clarity on. There's so much about this deal that, that has me confused. The first of all, can you imagine little smiley Miguel Almiron in Saudi Arabia? I just, I just don't see how that fits for him. Like, it just didn't, I don't think he would yeah, do well in that, in, Saudi Arabia. in that environment. Um, it is a really interesting one in terms of the fact I think the club could easily justify well look how many Premier League goals he scored last season if you need to justify a £30 million fee for a Premier League goal scorer that's easily done um, it's, a, it's a really tough one because as, as, a, as a footballer he turns 30 in February I was just checking his birthday 10th of Feb well all of you a lovely happy birthday especially if he's in Saudi we're doing a live um, show to celebrate so yeah, come yeah. on down um, so you know he's looking for one more big deal in his career and I've no doubt that if he did go to Saudi Arabia he'd probably double his wages or something silly like that so there is probably some incentive for him to take whatever deal is, is offered at him albeit again I'm not saying that the club would push him or anything like that um, Chris is right I think the right time to sell him would have been in the summer he was never going to replicate last season's form and we did have options at the start of the summer albeit in hindsight yes we've had to play him nearly every game but we had Gordon we had Murphy we had Barnes who'd come in and we still had the Joe Linton Joe Willock options for so and we had Elliot Anderson and Anderson as well so we had plenty of options that we could have done without Miggy I also understand and agree with everything Chris said about him being an Eddie Howe player and the work rate and not wanting to upset that squad that was, was so tight knit and had just finished fourth so it, it was really difficult and with hindsight yes these players would, would should have been sold or someone should have been sold in the summer with this FFP brick wall that we've hit now um and Miggy's, it's a really tough one. I feel like it's a very much a care for what you wish for. Let's say we do sell Miggy, get 30 million. In, and I think we could manage for a few weeks, you know, uh, even if Murphy or Barnes aren't yet back, you've kind of got Livermento who can play a bit further forward. There's, way, there's ways we could manage that for a few weeks. And in a season where you could argue it's kind of a free hit from now at the end of the season, we could finish anywhere. FA Cup's kind of a, an option to, to have some success. But realistically, we're probably not going to get back in the Champions League this year. Might get in the Europa, could probably do that with or without Miggy. So it's, mm. I don't think it's a big risk in that respect. It'll be, Chris has rightly said he played nearly every game. So that's a, a player from your first 11 of every week, suddenly not available anymore. But we, we do probably, of, of the three players that we're probably going to talk about and that have been talked about this month, Miggy seems like the most obvious one. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the, the careful what you wish for thing of you, you're not going to replace someone with as much drive and determination it's gonna be very hard to find someone who's willing to put in the the yards and the running and everything else that Miguel Almond does for all his faults and for all the things he's being criticized for this season being very one-footed and his kind of his uh goal rates and, and assist rate have, have, have dropped right off but probably down to fatigue and how much football he has played 
But in terms of the way he plays and the way Eddie Howe wants his team to play, finding another Eddie Howe player is probably easier said than done. So then you're kind of thinking, is it is it worth it to to panic panic sell, which is what it feels like we're doing? I don't know. I don't know. Chris, in terms of the the other lads who are linked with the movement, the, you know, we could also throw Jamal Lascelles in there, but that's not as uh, as damaging to Eddie Howe's first team plan anyway. But mm-hmm. Kieran Trippier is the the big one, and then Callum Wilson kind of really mad links to European giants in um, AC Milan and Atletico Madrid. Do you think there's 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 much in the Callum Wilson one? Mate, that seems to have gone a bit a bit quiet compared to Trippier and Almiron. Uh, well, Wilson, I mean, Atletico Madrid, my understanding is that that was an inquiry sort of early in the window and Newcastle almost dismissed it. The AC Milan one, one is interesting. I think, again, he's, he's a name that has sort of cropped up. I mean, Wilson himself, he could be back this weekend or next Tuesday, but he is actually injured. Um, and again, there's a, there's, a, there's a strong argument that a lot of people would make that maybe Newcastle should have capitalised and sold Callum Wilson last summer because of his injury record, not because of what he does when he plays, because he will score goals. But is his injury record sustainable enough when you also have a player like Alexander Isak, who his, his own injury record is questionable, if not to the same extent as Callum Wilson? I'd be very surprised if Callum Wilson was to leave this window because of the, the the lack of options Newcastle have up front. I mean, you can make the same argument for Miguel Almiron, but as I said before, they're going to have to, if they are going to sell someone, they're going to have to take a risk in some regard, but they only have one other out-and-out striker, and that is Alexander Isak. Wilson is still a key member of the squad. I would very much expect that come the summer, if he doesn't go now, then the likelihood is he probably will be moved on at that stage, and I think that part of this, that is partly the motivation behind what all this noise that's been coming around because I think that those around Callum Wilson are probably aware of that and they are keen to sort of get his name out there as well. But also, the, as I said earlier, the noises that Newcastle have made to the market that that we are going to at least listen and consider to, to options if you come and give us an offer, we will at least think about it, not, won't necessarily accept it. I think that's happened with Wilson, and I think that that some of the clubs say, hmm, there's a striker who, yes, he's got a, a dodgy fitness record, but when he plays, he will score goals, and if we could get him potentially on the cheap, if Newcastle really need to do a deal, which Newcastle are adamant they don't, then then they might come and try and do that. So no, I don't think that, I'm mean, I as I say this, and I'm always very, very nervous seeing anything like this, because and say anything definitive because things change very very quickly in the market and we wrote we wrote a story on the athletic over, over the weekend basically saying that from the very highest level at Newcastle United we were told that Kieran Trippier and Callum Wilson will not be leaving this window and we wrote it but I, I made sure to add in the caveat that that's as things stand because things can change but from all of the noises I've heard so far I did not see Callum Wilson leaving before the end of this window. Interesting fair enough on you know Callum Wilson Looks like he's he's here to stay and hopefully he stays fit and can kind of contribute because we started the season, it wasn't as much of a conversation. I think a lot of people will always want Alexander Isak ahead of him, but it was like more of a who's going to get the nod against Villa. You know, team sheet comes out and you're still a little bit interested. Now it just seems as there's no way you would start Wilson ahead of Isak. Am I, am I wrong? Do you agree, guys? No, I agree. Sorry, Sai. You look like you were going to say something. No, no, I, I agree entirely with that. I was going to say, yeah, because in, in the summer, because he's another player that you look back now and think you would have had much higher value and would have been a, a much better asset to yourself in the summer. But as we finished last season, as we came into this one, at no point was I think we need to move Wilson on. Like I'm, I don't think anyone was thinking that at the time because Wilson and Isaac had kind of both established that they could play interchangeably. We knew they both had fitness records that weren't great, but we knew that 
b- bad luck if they both hot at the same time. But generally speaking, that they, they can they can rotate, and there was a way to manage that, and it seemed to work for for some good periods last season. So um, I don't I don't know what it is with Wilson in terms of this. He's, he's not quite hit the the same levels. He's, he's had a few more injuries. Is he gonna? Is that gonna get worse as he gets a bit older? So are we really are we really past the point now where you're gonna get any serious value for him? I don't know. Um, it, it makes me think of Dwight Gale, where um, for years it was mm. like, well, someone in the championship will buy him because he scores goals, and then eventually a couple of loans later, it's like, ah, he's past it. You can't actually do that anymore. Is that going to happen with Wilson? And, and then we're kind of stuck with him until the end of his contract. I don't know. I think Wilson's technically better than like Dwight Gale ever was. But, oh yeah, just um, different but, levels. But, but, but. I, and I get it. And and I put my hand up when you were speaking because I was going to be like, surely a club in a relegation battle would take a Callum Wilson, snap your hand off a Callum Wilson, um, at this stage or even in the summer. I I think I think we have goals from elsewhere. I think Isak, you know, as an out and out striker, yes, you're leaving yourself vulnerable to not having an alternate um an alternate striker but we don't have a, a fixture congestion for the rest of the season like we have had for the start of the season and i think you know if he's if he is back to fitness and we can keep him at fitness that that's okay anthony gordon can score goals harvey barnes might be back soon i think as far as we've been told he is back in training or is nearly back in training so that could be i mean chris you can offer a little bit more insight there if you have any but and then, and then Joe Willock can also score goals and he's going to be coming back soon. So I wouldn't worry so much if Wilson was somebody that we were looking to offload this this window or next. Fair enough. And uh, Sorry, Chris, go on. I was just going to jump in on the on the sort of injuries front. Harvey Barnes isn't too far away, is my understanding. He is back doing some sort of partial training. The, the concern... <laughs> some sort... <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, Chris. Some sort of partial training. What's that, man? Come yeah, on. Walking to really, the shops. I realised that wasn't a great... <laughs> so he'd, my understanding was that he was doing some rehab work and that the rehab work is then... The, 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 what happened previously in terms of when he broke down was that he was doing some rehab work. The rehab work then was, was actually more strenuous than the first set of group training he took part in, but he broke down in the first set of group training and then he, he went back basically not a square one but went back quite a few weeks which was a setback he had in early December so Newcastle are being very cautious with him at the moment very similar situation with Joe Willock they're being very cautious in terms of when he comes back so they're getting partially and gradually reintegrated back into training so they're not going to rush either of them back and the concern I think because if Barnes breaks down again basically he's going to have to have an operation almost certainly the same with Joe Willock and so the, the news is positive in the sense that I think that you will see but certainly Harvey Barnes in the course of the next few weeks. Joe Willick should be in that sort of time frame as well. But there is at least apprehension as to how they will return and how quickly they will be up to full speed and whether they will break down or not. So in that sense, the risk that Newcastle would have to take by letting someone like Miguel Mon or Cal Wilson go, there is that increased risk right now because Newcastle just don't know. Suppose similar to Sven Botman when he's come back from his knee injury, they don't know if when you push it, will he actually be able to fully handle that when, once he goes back to, to full training and then obviously match situations. Interesting. Interesting yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Scoops, yeah. scoops somewhat back to... Sorry, I'm, I'm the bearer of good news, as you can tell. Yeah, cheers, yeah. Chris. We're going to leave it there. We've run out of time. Oh. Uh, yeah, so Chris, thanks, mate, for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. And great to chat to you about Newcastle United again. Um, no problem, anytime. Uh, we will be back with this free podcast uh, Sunday morning, hopefully after a glorious victory at Craven Cottage at the 
traditional football kickoff time of seven o'clock on Saturday night. <laughs> and uh, of course, we're on Patreon, three to eight pounds a month. I am hosting a full Fulham preview on that tomorrow night. So if you want to hear what me and podcast colleagues think of this big fixture in our season, come and join us on that platform. Link in the description to this podcast. Thanks to Science Charlotte. Also, speak to you all Sunday morning. Bye bye. This podcast is brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the £4 pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be gamble aware, over 18s only. Visit begambleaware.org. Be drink aware and for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.